We're beginning our Advent series today, and uh, yes, I know it isn't Advent yet, but uh, uh, it's quite hard to squeeze Micah into five weeks, let alone four, so I thought you would have enough grace to forgive me this indiscretion. Advent is traditionally a time of getting ourselves ready, though not for Christmas, uh, getting ourselves ready for Jesus's return. It's a time of reflection and repentance. So I figured that an Old Testament prophet might be quite fun, fun's the right word, (laughs) to journey with through these next five weeks. So prepare to be challenged, because if Micah doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you aren't listening to him. Micah was a country boy uh, from about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem, and uh, he lived and prophesied about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he was largely ignored by Israel's leaders for most of his ministry until right at the very end when King Hezekiah finally started to listen to this message of God's people being sinful and needing to repent and to return to God. And he did. In Micah's day, God's people were wealthy. It was a time of boom for Israel and Judah. They were wealthy and they were complacent. Their wealth meant they didn't feel they needed God. They were relatively secure. So they indulged in false prophets who told them what they needed to hear, what they wanted to hear. They ignored injustice, acting as they pleased while claiming nothing bad would happen. They went through the motions of religion, honouring God with their lips, but not changing the way they lived to be in step with God. Micah couldn't stand it, and I don't blame him. He describes himself as a, as a farmer, being a country boy. He grew up on a farm, I suppose, uh, certainly a little one. Uh, and he describes himself as like a farmer going for the summer harvest and finding that there are no grapes on the vineyards at all. That is how he felt when he was looking for faithfulness among God's people. It's grim and pretty damning description of God's people. No wonder God was angry and promised punishment. Now it's hard when the Bible talks about God being angry, full of wrath or judgment. It does that a lot actually, and not just in the Old Testament. It is in the New as well. We just don't like to read those bits. We need to be told how serious sin is. Because we're so good at justifying ourselves, at focusing on the bits of the Bible we like and ignoring the bits that challenge us, at finding reasons why what we do is okay. So that's one reason why we need to hear this. But we also need to have in mind the reality of the, the, the danger of punishment for sin isn't the end of the story. Micah's name means who is like God. It's kind of like the the theme of of Micah, if you like. And he ends his book with these words. This is Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. So the message of Micah is this. Don't pretend Sin isn't serious. And don't pretend that we aren't sinners. And don't think we can sort it out for ourselves. 
The message of Micah is that only God can redeem us. Only God can save us. Only God can forgive us. Only God can lift us up out of the pit. The good news, the great news, is that he promises to forgive all who turn to him. And in the very next verse, in Micah 7, 19, Micah describes God hurling all our sin into the depths of the sea. Hallelujah. Are you a church that says hallelujah? Hallelujah! That's the message of Micah. The series is called Life Through Judgment. And it's really easy to focus on the bits that are judgment. Think, oh, I don't like that. But that's not where it ends. We need to hear it, but it ends with life. Life through judgment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, John. The message of Micah is that judgment is not God's final word. And actually, the final word that brings us healing and forgiveness is the word. Jesus. So let's hear the first passage from Micah. This morning's reading is from Micah chapters 1 and 2, but it's an extract. It isn't an exact reading as it comes in the Bible. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Meresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it that the Sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression because of the sins of the people of Israel. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we give you thanks for the faithfulness of the prophet Micah speaking the words that you gave him to speak. And now I pray that you would speak to us today through these words, through my words, but most importantly by the power of your spirit to change our hearts and renew us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You can go away and read the whole thing if you want later to make sure I've not missed anything out that was particularly important. We will be having slightly uh, edited readings, otherwise they are really quite long. Hear all of you, Micah says in verse 2, listen. And then he says in verse 3, look, the Lord is coming. Hear, listen and look. Something important is about to happen. Now I wonder, do you ever think about what you might do or how you might feel when Jesus returns? Something you ever think about? Maybe some of you nodding your heads. Uh, Is there a question you long to ask? I know about the dinosaurs or something. Um, I'm really keen to know what on earth the dinosaurs are all about. A person you long to see again. Healing you desperately want to receive. I can't wait for that daily struggle to be over and to see Jesus face to face at last. The Lord is coming. Sounds like good news. But in Micah's prophecy, such a collection of sermons, it's very much bad news. It all starts to get a bit heavy in verse 4. He starts to talk about mountains melting and valleys splitting, which sounds rather like volcanic eruptions and earthquakes to me, which aren't normally good news when they happen. Now imagine, if you will, a mythical day when banks had branches. (laughs) I hear that in the long distant past, this used to be the case, we had to keep changing our bank in Amington because they kept closing the branch so we couldn't pay our money in. Imagine these days where you, where you had to go and uh, you went to a bank to pay a check-in and you're standing there in the queue uh, waiting to be served by a cashier uh, rather than a website. Uh, imagine you're there waiting patiently and suddenly a group of people with tights pulled over their heads jump into the, to the branch because they're bank robbers. Out of the corner of their eye, you see a blue flashing light and a car pull up and the word on the side of the car says, police. Is that good news or bad news? For you, it's good news. For the robbers, it's bad news. God's people, those who heard this first prophecy from Micah, thought of themselves as the innocent ones in the queue at the bank. Not as the bank robbers. So when they heard the Lord is coming, they heard it as good news. But the punchline from Micah was that they, God's people, were more like the bank robbers. So God's impending arrival was bad news. All this, he says, verse 5, is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. This is where it starts to get really heavy. They've been worshipping things that aren't God, whether that is idols made of stone or metal or wood or other kinds of idols like wealth or power or sex. It doesn't matter. They've been worshipping things that are not God. And they've been jealous and greedy, wanting things that aren't theirs, taking things that aren't theirs. They've been defrauding and exploiting other people. And worst of all, in chapter 2, verse 3, they are proud of all of that behaviour. Ouch. Micah describes it as a plague. We know all sorts about plagues these days, don't we? A plague that began in the northern kingdom of Samaria about two or three hundred years before. The kingdom of Israel had split in two. 
So there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had become known as Samaria. And that plague had started up there. And it had spread down into the southern kingdom, into Judah. Even, Micah says in verse 9, to Jerusalem itself, to the very centre of God's presence and worship among his people. I've been staring at these words all week. And friends, I'm not sure they only apply to God's people there and then. The trick of the West has been to move our exploitation overseas. So we don't have to see it anymore. That's why we have such cheap clothes and cheap food. Our idolatry of power and wealth and sex is so embedded in our culture that we don't even realise when we worship created things instead of our creator. We don't even realise it, even within the church. We don't realise the extent to which we worship things that are not God. It's been a fun week as I've reflected on that. Micah uses three important words in these verses to describe the human condition. You might think they all mean the same thing, but they are all slightly different. He uses three words, sin, transgression, and iniquity. There's actually, there are three, if, you're in, uh, if you want to look them up later, the Bible Project has some excellent videos, and it has three excellent video, videos on those three words, explaining and exploring the difference between them and why they're so important and how Jesus deals with them specifically. They're really very good. If you're in home groups, I'd encourage, they're only five minutes long each. I'd encourage you to look at those this week. Sin means missing the mark. It's, uh, it means moral failure. It's, um, it's like my pitiful attempts at archery when we went on a stag do uh, with one of my friends who was a keen archer. It's missing the mark. That's sin. Transgression means breaking a trust or betraying a relationship like a country going back on a treaty that has been signed in good faith. Iniquity means behaviour that's crooked or twisted. Um, the word means it's like something that's damaged and out of shape, like, like a, a bad back or a piece of twisted metal that needs hammering into shape. Those three words, moral failure, breaking trust, twisted behaviour, that's Micah's diagnosis, not of the world, of God's people. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Jacob is another word for Israel in the Bible. Is it any wonder that God promises in verse 6 to destroy their idols? In verse 7 to bring disaster? In verse 15 a conqueror as punishment to his people? But do you think that's what God wanted to do? Do you think he was relishing the prospect of bringing disaster upon his own people? No. He didn't want to do that any more than Micah. Um, there's a, I, I'd rather like that bit while I left it in. Uh, the description of Micah, because of this I will weep and wail, I will go about barefoot and naked, I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. He must have been a really interesting guy. I, I don't know much, obviously, about owls. I wouldn't describe an owl as moaning. I mean, maybe I'm just I don't know, I'm screeching. I don't know. But anyway, owls apparently moan. Quite the guy. That's why actually all the Old Testament prophets were quite an unusual bunch, weren't they? God called his people to be a blessing to the nations. 
He gave them the law to teach them the best and the right way to live, to follow him. He provided leaders. He gave them and taught them wisdom. He sent them prophet after prophet after prophet, not to predict the future, but to call them to repentance and faithfulness to God's word. Two weeks ago, we heard about Jonah, who was sent to preach to the Ninevites. What happened? They listened They repented, and God destroyed them anyway. No. They lived. That's what God wants. Ezekiel 18, verse 32 says this, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God doesn't want anyone to be punished. But if we stubbornly refuse to listen... If we go on ignoring the warnings that we're about to drive off a cliff, what happens? You drive off a cliff. And there are many warnings in the Bible. Micah is one. There's a lot in the Old Testament prophets, but they're in the New Testament as well. Our reading this morning, we did a sort of a short nine o'clock service for people to be more socially distanced. And uh, the reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 3, one of Jesus' letters to the churches. Let me read part of it to you. It's to the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's Jesus. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. This is to a church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. These are not the words of a God who longs to kill his people. These are the words of a God who longs for us to come home. Who longs for us. Who longs for us to open the door. That's what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to have life. He wants you to eat with him. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. That is the message of the Bible. And that is the message of Micah. One of the key phrases... In chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. Why? Because we are the problem. Our hearts are broken and damaged. You may as well ask me, I need to stop going on about my poor qualities as a gardener. You may as well ask me to grow enough vegetables to feed you all. It ain't going to happen. You'll go hungry. 
It's not possible. You may as well ask someone who can't swim to jump off a boat and swim themselves to shore. It isn't going to happen. It's just not possible. You cannot save yourselves, God says. But that is not all God says. That is not all God says. Our greatest need is for someone who can save us. And a saviour is what God gives us. Micah was speaking, as I said, approximately 2,800 years ago, about uh, 750 years before Jesus was born. He was speaking into that current situation, but he was also, through the lens of prophecy, seeing things to come, both in the far future for us, but also things that have now happened. Micah chapter 5 is often read around Christmas time. Why? But you... Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and he will be our peace. Recognise those words? They are from Micah. Micah's seeing the situation, and he knows God is going to do something about it. And we know that that is Jesus 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Revelation 1 verse 5, to Jesus who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, to him be glory and power forever. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us do you see God's love is not about pretending that everything is okay because he knows it isn't God's love is not about pretending that sin doesn't matter God's love is about dealing with that sin once and for all so those who repent can be forgiven So we can open that door, welcome Jesus in, and sit and eat with him. That is the gospel. That is the good news of God's love. And it is wonderful. It is wonderful because, as Micah shows us, we're in a very deep hole. But this is good news because God doesn't leave us there. He sent Jesus to lift us up, to pick us up out of that pit and set us on our feet as his beloved children. The gospel is beautiful, but it's not easy to hear. Friends, I don't want us to water down what the Bible says to try and make it more acceptable or palatable or whatever. I don't want us to ignore the bits of the Bible that we find challenging or difficult Because to do that is to empty it of its real power. Because it speaks to us as we really are. Not as some pretend semi-perfect people. Or where stuff we do doesn't really matter. This is the truth we need to hear. And it is a wonderful truth. Because it doesn't end with us in the pit. It ends with us eating with Jesus. Don't get me wrong, following Jesus is costly. 
It means living his way, not my way. Dying to ourselves so we can live for him. But the way it begins is easy. Because he's already done it. We all need a saviour. We all are bruised and broken. And we cannot save ourselves. Instead, we need to turn. That's what the word repent means. It's nothing fancy. It means turn back to God. That's all we need to do. Turn back to God. And when we do that, we find that God loves us, wants to forgive us, give us a new life and walk with us along that life. That is the journey that Micah called God's people to walk 2,800 years ago. And it is the journey God is calling us, his people, to walk today. It's not easy, but it is the life God made us to live. It is the life God is calling us to live. And it's the life God longs for us to live. I wonder, will we join Jesus on that journey?